today's pensée is simply a short meditation on a subject that most people working in the academic world will understand. It's the factor of burnout. Obviously, burnout is a problem in many areas of life and work. What we'll be talking about are the specific reasons why burnout is a problem in the academic world. Yesterday, I saw a notification from LinkedIn about burnout, and I clicked on it. The article was very interesting and helpful. Alas, when I went back to find it, I had no success. But the most important takeaway from the article is this. K-12 through teachers face the greatest degree of burnout. At least that's according to the author. Of all people in society, teachers are the most burned out. That doesn't surprise me one bit. Even though people often talk about the great importance of the education of our youngsters, I suspect people who teach in those grades realize that this is somewhat of a ruse. If you look at France, for instance, you'll realize that Jean-Paul Sartre was a high school teacher. Yes, he was trained to be that at the École Normale Supérieure, and teaching high school was considered to be an important position. Of course, one of the weird things about K-12 education is that it's locally run. While there are standards that are set by the various states, as well as the federal government, the reality on the ground is that so much of the school experience is dependent on where you live. Many people go to great lengths to buy homes in areas that have good schools. Unfortunately, there's a strong correlation between the quality of schools and how expensive the homes are. Places where it's expensive to live usually have good schools. Money can't buy you everything, but education is one place where spending money usually gets results in terms of students learning and excelling. One of the aspects of having K-12 education run by the local municipality is that the quality of education varies, shall we say, greatly from one town to another. Another way of putting that is if you're in the admissions office at a college, you'll probably want to know something, indeed maybe as much as possible, about the various high schools that the students applying attended. What it takes to get an A at one school is often different, either easier or harder, from another school, which could be in the next town. Another aspect is that some school districts simply have far more to offer teachers than other districts. While there's no absolute correlation between pay and the caliber of teachers a school can hire, the correlation is still pretty strong. K-12 through teachers can do rather well financially, depending on where they live. Here's a way to get at that. In the town where I taught, many of the local high school teachers made considerably more money than I ever did as a college professor. This is not some woe is me, you should feel sorry for my point. I'm merely trying to put these salaries in some kind of perspective. Despite the difference in pay, I had absolutely no desire to teach high school students, so it wasn't like I was secretly, <laughs> secretly pining for that. Conversely, even if you were to move to a town nearby, it might well be that the amount spent on education would be considerably smaller, unless the pay would be significantly different. There are many, many K-12 teachers who do not receive adequate funding from their schools, which means they end up buying many of the things necessary for the students out of their own pocket. But let's get to the burnout aspect. You can probably already guess that school districts with more cash can hire more teachers and spread the teaching load. Even then, though, teaching is simply one of those professions in which burnout is common. 
as I mentioned, burnout seems to be something that is particularly a problem for K-12 teachers. Just to be clear, I'm speaking here of burnout regarding the expectations of employment. That is the fact that teachers have too much on their plates. Obviously, what you need to do as a teacher will vary considerably from, you know, whether you're teaching, say, the second grade to the 10th grade or something like that. But there's a kind of basic rhythm to the job. You have to prepare lesson plans and then give the lessons. There are almost always papers to grade. And teaching isn't just about communicating material, but also about getting students to engage and handling disciplinary problems. In comparison, many of the kinds of disciplinary problems found in high schools are usually absent from most colleges and universities. But I don't want to say that that is to say that we <laughs> who teach at universities have no disciplinary problems. It's just that these are much easier to solve. I found that letting students know that I didn't allow for reading, sleeping, talking, or doing homework in my courses usually solved the problem. If that didn't prove completely sufficient, I had various ways of dealing with students talking in class, which was the main problem. I would usually stop talking and stare at the students. When they realized that I and the entire class were focused on them, they usually stopped. Normally doing that just once in the semester resulted in students realizing that I was serious about this and it wouldn't happen again. You should know that it's very difficult to hold a lecture when students are talking in class. It's just really difficult to concentrate. But you should also know that the most important reason for stopping students from talking or sleeping was that students, other students, found it disruptive. Put another way, after the very first course I taught, I realized that students penalized me on the student evaluations because I had not taken a hard enough line with a few students. When I say they penalized me on the question, what did you least like about the course, a number of students put down the names of those who had been talking. Students who are there to learn resent students who are disrupting the learning. In terms of professor burnout, that rate can't be as high as among K-12 teachers, but it's also probably not that good. Here's why. Teaching at the college level is about teaching, yes. But it's also about doing research, going to conferences, and publishing articles and books. There are undoubtedly professors who teach at schools where the summertime is just vacation time. But that's not the reality for most professors, who find that it's during the summer they can finally work on big publications like a book. While K-12 teachers normally don't simply have the entire summer off, because there are various kinds of things they have to attend, there are in most cases, at least, no publication requirements. At Tier 1 research universities, there are strong expectations regarding publishing. Failure to publish enough and in the right journals could mean that one doesn't get tenure. That means one loses one's job. At schools where the focus is more on teaching, sometimes the language breaks down into something like teaching schools versus research schools, one is, of course, expected to publish less. At some schools, such as community colleges, there simply are no expectations regarding publication. Indeed, I think I've mentioned that at many community colleges, publication might be held against you. But I should add that community college professors usually have higher teaching loads, so it kind of balances out. While we're on this subject, let me just say a little more. 
If you teach at a research university, you normally teach two, three-hour courses per semester. If you perform particularly well in publishing, that might get marked down to just one course a semester, or one course one semester and two the other semester. In contrast, where I taught, the normal teaching load was 12 hours per semester. In other words, double the teaching load. Interestingly enough, some of the trustees at the school where I taught actually believed that we didn't have that much work because, well, we were only in the classroom for 12 hours a week. In other words, there were people who thought they only work 12 hours a week. <laughs> when I first discovered this, I was absolutely shocked. How did they think that papers got graded? How did they think that we were able somehow magically to write articles and books for publication? Note that I've worked this out so far only in terms of publications and teaching. At the school where I taught, there were the usual expectations of community service. Usually that means you have to be on a committee and mentoring students. It was this last part that was particularly important to the institution. They wanted us to spend time with students, and I think many of us became something like professor pastors, because students would come with philosophical questions, but also questions about faith and doubt, as well as topics of daily life. If a student came into my office with a burden, the illness of a close family member, or some other kind of disaster, I usually simply shoved everything aside and spent however long with the student that seemed appropriate. Some conversations went on for a long time, and many became merely the first of further conversations. But it was in, in meeting with the trustees that I got a better idea of the problem. I was head of a committee charged with looking into the question of whether students were getting enough attention, and that required attending a trustee meeting. At the meeting, a very well-intending trustee said something along these lines. I would like to think that if any student is undergoing difficulties, the professor would realize this and be able to reach out. As he was saying all of this, my brain was going into high gear. How do you respond to a valid concern that gets expressed in the form of an absolute impossibility? Fortunately, before I had a chance to respond, the chaplain spoke up and very forcefully. He said something like this. You have to understand that faculty have many other demands on their time. They go to conferences and write books. Moreover, and this was the truly important part, the part that I really was grateful for, many students would be extremely reluctant to discuss such things with a professor. I was so grateful to him for saying all of that because it got at the problem very nicely. Even though I strongly supported the idea that as professors, we should be aware of the mental states of our students, the reality is that some students share things easily, and others would rather crawl into a hole than talk with you about such things. I want to close here with a reflection on my father. When he died at age 72, such an early age, the outpouring from his former students was almost overwhelming. There were so many people who came for the memorial and funeral who said things like, I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for Warren Benson. Person after person after person. Something that I knew that most other people didn't know was that my dad had been approached by Harper and Rowe to write the definitive version of what Christian education should look like from an evangelical point of view. This was a significant honor, and I was thrilled for him. 
But that book simply never got written. What I came to realize is that my father cared too much about the needs of his students and those around him. He would get invitations to preach at some little church that would be hours away, and then they'd pay him maybe 50 or $100. Though I discovered that often the churches would simply not pay him at all. When I suggested that he develop a fee schedule, he responded by saying, but I do these things because I care about the people in these churches. How could you argue with that? 